Welcome to Thanksgiving week. I'll read the title out of a conviction that is also part of Holy Scripture. This is God's word. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind. In all his works, the Lord upholds all who are falling, raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he, sh- he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Read that far in God's word. How do we lose our thankfulness? And how do we get it back again? It seems every year we come to this week and we tell ourselves we should be more thankful all throughout the year, and then we're not. How do we lose our thankfulness and how do we get it back again? We lose our thankfulness when we lose our praise. We lose our thankfulness when we lose our our vision of God's greatness. That grows hazy for us. So how do we get it back again? By seeing God and his greatness more clearly, by studying psalms such as this. The book of the Psalms is the book of praises. Psalm 145, uh, surprising, the title of it is the only psalm out of the 150 that has this title, Song of Praise. However, as you know, all the psalms are psalms of praise in a sense. It's a title for the whole book. The book of Psalms is a psalm, song of praise. But in the context, there's a progression through the book. So these more recent psalms, 140 to 144, all written by David, the same who wrote our psalm, show an attack on David's throne. An attack on David's throne through 140 to 144. During those songs, evildoers were threatening the king with force and strategies and pursuits. But here, in Psalm 145, those threats now are easily dismissed. How? Because King David knows and celebrates that he has such a great God. Psalm 145 is a song of praise for the certainty of victory. Uh, The remaining psalms after this, Psalm 146 to the end, 146 to 50, 
those five are a grand conclusion to the whole book of Psalms by singing five praise songs in a row. And so the lasting impression of the book of Psalms that it gives us is this praise to God, which results, of course, in our thankfulness. So our Psalm 145 is is the last Psalm of David. He wrote a lot of them. This is the last Psalm of David in the book of Psalms. We could say it's David's grand finale, a great way to start our week of uh, thankfulness. It's, It's one of the eight Psalms that are acrostics. I keep telling you about this. Acrostics are... Hebrew letters, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, that each begin a line of the psalm or song. It reminds us that David paid very close attention not just to the message and the words, but even down to the details. He wrote exactly what David would write to us very carefully, and of course he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. God wrote here exactly what he'd have for us to have. So David certainly pulls out all the stops, as you'll see as we go through this. Pulls out of the stops is a church organ uh, metaphor for saying that David is reaching in his efforts to praise God the very best he can, stopping at nothing, trying to find the best language, searching hard for it. In other words, here David uses extravagant language with all the terms he can find to express his praise to God and also in his appeal to us to join him in praising our God. So the main point, very simply, across your uh, sermon outline is we praise our generous God. We see this in three ways. We commend his works to the next generation, verses 1 to 7. We give thanks to God for his love, verses 8 to 13. And we make God known to others, verses 14 to the end. Remember that the devil was once an angel? How did the devil lose his position? Or we could say lose his thankfulness. Interesting to think about that. How did the devil go from being an angel to being, well, the devil? How did the devil go from serving in the presence of God to falling down, away from God? How did that happen? You could say at some point the devil began to frown instead of to smile. He began to complain instead of to praise. He lost his thankfulness. We could say... He began to skip his morning hallelujahs. As a challenge to us before we study this, has, has your heart gone sour? Would you say that this week has been thankful, that this morning has been thankful for you? Do you need to get your thankfulness back? Praise is the answer. One word, praise. That's right, praise. Praising God, worshiping God is the path to thankfulness. Keeping that perspective is what we're called to. So what is praise? Praise is seeing and acknowledging God's greatness. Seeing and acknowledging God's greatness. Worship is saying to ourselves and our hearts, God is generous to us, and we're glad about that. Any morning that you don't say, God is generous to me, and I'm glad about that, is a morning that you're starting to lose your thankfulness. And on the contrary, any morning that you say, God is generous to me, and I'm glad about that, is a morning that you're starting to get your thankfulness back. It's really that simple. So let's work through the psalm. First, we commend God's works to the next generation, verses 1 to 7. Verse 1, David begins by saying, I will extol you. Extol is a word for lifting up or elevating to a high position. It's not as if God was down and David needed to lift him up, but it's rather David's own acknowledgement that God is 
already high and exalted. And within David's heart, he acknowledges that to be the case, and he's glad about that. And who is it that he's exalting? He says, my God and king. Wait, who's writing? David is writing. David's the king. So who is this other king he's talking about? You mean the king has a king? Yes, the the Lord God is the king over King David. Thus, what we sing come Christmas time, king of kings. Every president has someone overlooking them. Every prime minister, every king, every ruler, every governor has one that they answer to. And David comes here acknowledging, I answer to you. You are my king. And before you, Lord God, I'm just a subject. You are my king. What a great way to orient himself as he begins to commend God's works to the next generation. He makes sure his heart is right. He makes sure his song begins by extolling the Lord and not himself. God is the king. How long would David keep going on praising God as heavenly king? He'll never stop. Verse 1 says, bless your name forever and ever. Verse 2 says, praise your name forever and ever. He says it again later in the psalm. Every day, and forever. It's not just ongoing into the future, but it's an active daily action for him. Verse 2, every day. So here we are together today. We're blessing God together today. In song, we stand and we sit and we sing together. We're blessing God and worshiping God. What about tomorrow? Will you lose your thankfulness by uh, this time tomorrow? How does the week go for a Christian? How does it go for you? Every day I will bless you, says David. There's something for us to learn here, would you admit? How can I continue to have this attitude and disposition of praising God, blessing God, when it comes to my daily routine, when it comes to the problems that Monday brings, that Wednesday brings? Verse 3, David begins to praise God with his description of God. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Three times he said great in the one verse so far. This psalm is not just David being fanatical. If you talk to a certain person about a certain car, they can say great three times in a sentence. You talk to another person about a certain sports team, they say great three times in a sentence. This is just David's thing. You know, he talks about God. He's one of those religious guys, and so he says great three times in a sentence. This is not that. This is not just David being fanatical. He's saying to us in verse 3, there are solid reasons for God to be praised. He's inviting us in to the praise of God and giving a case for why we must. God is most worthy of praise. He is great. He is greatly to be praised. He deserves it. He's so great and great in such a manner that no one could ever fully search out or fathom his greatness. He's so great that if you started now and began to praise God for everything you can think of, that will take you forever. He's beginning to introduce us to the greatness of God. He's so great that it's not enough for David and those gathered with David that day to acknowledge that God that day and consider praise to be completed and adequate. It's over now. Let's go back to other things. No. God's incredible accomplishments must continue to be proclaimed. David wants the people on earth to join the angels in heaven who round the clock Never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
reset, start over, say it again, sing it again. Angels whose job it is to praise God without ceasing. That is the praise into which we are called to enter. David grasps the ongoing need, the ongoing necessity and warrant to praise this God. And then he says in verse 4, one day I'm going to die, but others must carry it on. Basically, he says, verse 4, one generation will commend your works to another. Your job is to keep the praise of God going after I die, is what he's saying. And what's presented here in verse 4, continuing on down through verse 7, is the greatness of God displayed through his actions, his mighty works. The word works is included three times, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. And two other words are included here, acts in verse 4, deeds in verse 6. He's talking about the activity of God and its greatness. And as David wrote this last psalm of his, he considered the future for God's kingdom, and it seems that David senses as you read this, David predicted that the actions of God reach a new climax later. He couldn't know fully, but he kind of got a glimpse as sort of a prophet that the gospel events were coming. Listen to how he describes this. Read it over again for yourself. Doesn't he have a sense that something even greater is yet to come? And even beyond that, David's use of the words forever and ever, repeatedly, show David's understanding that the actions of God will keep moving towards their final consummation in the very presence of the Lord God one day. Whatever steps are precursors to lead there, that's where this all ends. He seems to know that. David had a prediction in verse 5 that gave the sense that David had not yet seen all of God's works himself. And David looked forward to a future time when he will be able to be introduced to the rest and then review it all. Listen to verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Consider the, the stack of words David has used so far to contribute to his future meditation. Glorious, splendor, majesty, wondrous, great, greatly, greatness, which he used twice, mighty, awesome, fame, Abundant, which is there in the coming verses. David is balanced here between the praise that David himself will offer and the praise that he calls for the coming generations to offer. Here's what I will do, and here's what future generations will do, and here's what I will do, and here's what future generations will do, and there's this balance between the two. David says, I will extol God. I will bless God. I will meditate on God's works. And then he says, um, again, I will declare your greatness, verse 6. And David keeps going. And this morning when we sing God's praises, do you really think David is silent? How is our knowledge of God's mighty actions passed along from one generation to another? He has these verbs for us, verses 6 and 7, by speaking of God's power, by declaring God's greatness, by pouring forth the fame of God's goodness, and by singing aloud his righteousness. One of the best ways we teach children is right within the worship of God. They look to us, so what do they see? They see us singing to God and listening to his word and making changes in our lives because God is at work in us. Here David has made known to all future generations in writing 
David's last song about God's greatness and God's actions, of God specifically, his generosity. That's the title for the message, Thankful for God's Generosity. And what a fulfillment the words of Psalm 145 have had since he penned them and since he passed away in these intervening generations from David's day down to our day today. What a fulfillment this psalm continues to have within our generation. If you haven't discovered Psalm 145, let me introduce it to you and take this along with you as part of your repertoire Of course, the highlight of the psalm was its fulfillment in the Son of David, even Jesus Christ, whose mighty work was the death and resurrection that brought our redemption. In fact, there is embedded in the psalm a forward motion that looks towards the workings of God in the world, even through God the Father sending God the Son. God's workings are not all in the past, from David's perspective, nor from ours. God's working is present, within David's generation, the coming generation. And we could say it's present in today's generation and the future generations if the Lord were to tarry. God's working is present within this generation. I feel like I should just pause and say that to you 12 times. God's working is present within this generation. We we live in a very discouraging time. A time in which most of the people in this room have seen what I've seen in in the past decades of the decline of everything in our society. And when we experience that, we tend to think the church and God are not on the move. But they are the church and God himself. He's working in this generation. Today's generation is praising God. There are incredible things that God is doing. He's bringing people from darkness to light and from death to life. In today's church, God is commending his works from an older generation to a younger generation. And in that way, God is at work. We know this has to be the case. We reflect back on Jesus' own words and teaching in John 5, 17, where Jesus said, my father is working until now, and I am working. If God the Father is working, and Jesus Christ is working, and we know that the Spirit is the Spirit of God the Father and the Spirit of God the Son, we know the Spirit of God is working, we know this to be true. And this pattern was continued from King David into the next generation and the next generation right down to us. We have King David and then King Solomon and all the kings and prophets to follow. Then we have our Lord Jesus Christ who finally came. His apostles such as John and Peter. We have the testimony of the apostle Paul and that generation. The story of the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11 which is suggestive. It's, It's suggestive because the list of heroes of the faith is only a starter list. We're expected to add to that list, add our own names, and add the names of all who were trusting and put their faith in the Lord Jesus, and more names are added. So the testimony of God's working in other believers, we could go through church history, a mother named Monica praying for her lost boy, Augustine, who came to faith, and then we hear his spiritual coaching from Augustine and his generation down to us. We hear from Bernard of Clairvaux. We hear from Martin Luther. We hear from Charles Spurgeon and from Dr. J. Gresham Machen. And from each generation, there are writings in the libraries of Christians to study and help us draw from God's word. It's not just that each generation repeats the story of God's working. Each generation adds to what God has done and is working and doing, the interpretations and practical lessons and the story of God's work in the world. In other words, God continues to build his church, he continues to build his kingdom, and he continues to spread his message through missionaries to the end of the earth. He continues to act in you and through you to everybody who's watching you. 
There's a lot of little eyes watching you. What are they seeing? God's greatness can be seen in his church and in this generation and here and now. We continue to praise our God through his generosity in verses 8 through 13. We give thanks to God for his love. Just as the first section, verses 1 to 7, focused on God's works, now verses 8 to 13 focuses on praising God for his best work, his eternal love for us. God's love is a repeated theme now in our next section. In verse 8, his character described as gracious, merciful, abounding, and steadfast love. What is God like? God is love. In in verse 9, God is good to all and has mercy over all. Verse 10, his works um, cause us to give thanks and God's saints bless him. Verse 11, God's saints speak of his glory and power. Verse 12, it's saints who make known to others the mighty acts of God and his splendor. We are the saints with God's holy ones, his people, those who are redeemed by Christ and those who bear the righteousness of Christ. Verse 13, God's everlasting character. And notice his kindness is extended to all of his works. His mighty power is seen through his love. So in this section, verses 11 through 13, his love is seen in his rule. His love is seen in his rule. Here we find the rule of God, his power, the way he governs everything that happens. It's the theme of his kingdom. Kingdom is an idea of the reign of God, the active power of God on display. Kingdom is in verse 11. Kingdom is in verse 12. Kingdom is two times in verse 13. What is God saying to us about his kingdom and his love? He told us. Remember how Moses broke the stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments? What did God say? Well, it stinks to be you. It's all over. You shouldn't have broke those. Bye. Is that the end? Is that that the absolute end? What did God do? In mercy, God told Moses to go chisel out two new stones. That the command of God was the act of God's love. And in obedience, Moses did it. Moses went up Mount Sinai again a second time as the Lord commanded. And that's where we read the verses that David is quoting here. Exodus 34, 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Exodus 34, 5 and 6. That's what David's quoting. That's the God he's talking to. That's the God he's teaching the future generations about. God had previously built the world. And now God is building his kingdom within the world. And David is teaching the next generation and all the future generations how it all works. The writer to the Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, verse 14, puts it a different way. It's the same concept. Listen. For here, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Hebrews 13, verses 14 and 15. So God built the world, and then sin came into it. Is that it? Just bigger than napalm, fireball, it's over? God built the world, and sin came into it. But God being loving, and God being merciful, 
And God being powerful enough to not only build a new heavens and a new earth, but to rebuild a new heavens and a new earth, started building a kingdom with people. Why is he starting with the people? Because the people are especially designed to praise God and are made in his own image. Verse 10, your saints shall bless you. Verse 11, your saints shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. Verse 12, the splendor, they'll speak of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Why? Verse 12, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. Not only that he created, that's easy, that he also redeemed. 1 Peter 1, 9 and 10, it's almost like Peter is studying this psalm and picking up the same concept for us. Listen, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, 1 Peter 1, 9 and 10. God was willing to destroy his son to save us to the point where we'll praise him. He loves us. Is that not demonstrated sufficiently through the cross? He's powerful. Is that not demonstrated sufficiently through the resurrection? And as Paul writes elsewhere, Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? He loves us with an eternal love and we respond by thanking him and praising him. Brings us to our third point, we make God known to others, verses 14 and following. There's a universality to God's love and to his kingdom rule. Verse 14, the Lord upholds and raises up those who are bowed down. Uh, The way you could translate this is backs which are bent over, he straightens. Isn't that beautiful? Backs that are bent over. Whatever the burden that's causing them to be bent over, he straightens them. He revives lost hope. He's the God who can redo, rebuild, start over, offer grace. He's more than powerful enough, and he's more than loving enough. Verse 15, the eyes of all look to you. What else are we going to do? Where else would we turn? The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. He doesn't withhold his food. Verse 16, a beautiful image. One of my professors in seminary, this is his favorite verse. I probably shouldn't say who it is. You could ask me personally. It doesn't really matter, but... It's not my place to reveal his, but it stands out to me because this image is so beautiful. Verse 16 says to God, you open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. You ever go to the zoo and you get those little ugly granules that you feed to the goat and the goat licks it out of your hand and it tickles and some people can do it, some people can't handle it. And you're watching this goat eat this and then you have this image in verse 16 that says God opens his hand and satisfies every living thing. That's just fun. That's just beautiful imagery. Complex, but beautiful. God opens his hand and joyously provides for all. Jesus taught in Matthew 5.45 that God makes the sun rise and the rain to shine on both good and bad people. So everyone can grow crops in the fields. In Matthew 6, Jesus spoke about God providing the birds and the lilies with what they need. How much more will he provide for us? Verse 17, he says the Lord is kind. The word here is a word that designates loyalty. You ever get zucchini in August that could fill a truck? Would you rather have zucchini two per week all throughout the year 
the goodness of God is not in some lump sum, and then you got to fend for yourself. The kindness here is in his loyalty. The kindness is in his consistency, his unchangingness, that every day, every week, every month, every year of our whole lives, God provides what's needed without fail. That's kindness. That's God's love translated to daily life for us when providing food and sunshine. Isn't that kind of loyalty, that kind of consistency, exactly what we'd hope for from God? And isn't that why we praise him? The sky is falling, we can joke about, because the sky is literally not falling, right? The sun will come up tomorrow, we can sing with joy, because we know it's true. And he's the one who makes all these beautiful things true. It's our hope. And whenever we have called on the Lord, he has helped us and saved us and either provided endurance or provided relief. Our response to God is to praise him. Praise is not something that we fit in when we have time. Praise is not something we do about this time of year and let it go otherwise. Praise is for every day. What have we seen? We praise our generous God. We commend his works to the next generation. We give thanks to him for his love. Make known his, our God to others. Uh, just a reflection here on our conclusion I want to talk to various age groups today. When we're younger, the question is, uh, can we gain things and keep praising God? Can you gain height? Look, Mommy, I can do this now. Look, I can tie my shoes. And look, I can jump this high. And uh, we, we gain things, and, and you wonder, can you still keep praising God when I can do? Me do, me do. I can do, I can do a lot now. As we grow up, can you still keep praising God? You gain looks, you gain height, you gain strength, you gain education, you have degrees, you have, you have opportunities, jobs, positions of influence, increasing influence, wealth, possessions. Can you still keep praising God? And when we're in the middle age of life, the question is, can we be very, very, very busy and keep on praising God? We're pulled in all directions, work, home, community, church, family. Can we keep on praising God? And then... The older years, when we're getting along in years, the question is, can we lose things and keep praising God? Lose hair, lose strength, lose looks, lose positions, lose influence, possessions, abilities, health, loved ones, and keep on praising God? What does God say to you if you don't have much time left on earth? Let me share with you What's entrusted to us here in our psalm from King David. Verse 18 is for you. The Lord is near to those who call on him. Verse 19 is for you. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. Verse 20 is for you. The Lord preserves all who love him. Those three verses are really saying one thing. God answers prayer. Every section of our life should be a time of prayer, but maybe especially in those times of losing things, aging God draws near to those who draw near to him in prayer. Nearness means closeness. Unwrap the gift of verse 21. Imagine David reaching the end of his life, which this is his last psalm. I think we're warranted to think this way when we study this psalm. What would David be thinking about the conclusion of his own life? What would David be doing with his time? We know that he'd be singing. We know that he'd be writing to others and saying, sing with me. Praise God with me. 
These are coaching moments for us, from the aging David to the aging us. Here's the last verse, verse 21, the last written words of King David. You ready? My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Now, grandparents, is when you can write what your grandchildren will say about you. Will they say they are always praising God? Or will they say they're always grumpy? You write that now in how you perform. A person is not crippled till their heart ceases to praise. Louis Albert Banks tells of an elderly Christian man who was a fine singer who learned that he had cancer of the tongue. Surgery is required. He reaches the hospital after everything's ready for the operation. The man says to the surgeon, Are you sure? I'll never sing again. The surgeon found it difficult to answer this man's question because he knew of his abilities in singing and he simply shook his head no. You won't be able to sing again. The patient then asked if he could sit up for a moment before they start the surgery. He says, sure. And he sat up and he said, I've, I've had many good times of singing praises to God and now you tell me I'll never sing again. Well, if you don't mind, whoever's here, I have one last song to sing. It'll be of gratitude and praise to God. And right there, with the doctor who's privileged to hear it, whatever other workers were there, the man sang softly, Isaac Watts hymn, I'll praise my maker while I've breath. When my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler power. My days of praise shall never be passed. While life and thought and being last, or immortality endures. Praise is not just for people who really happen to like singing in church services. Praise is not just for people who like to sing and they're musical people. Praise is for all the saints, all of God's people. We're each encouraged to take verse 21 with us as a little gift from God, which turns out to be bigger and bigger the more you realize. We're to echo our spiritual coach And join King David in saying in verse 21, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Because of God's mighty acts, especially his love for us at the cross, and because of his constant watch care over us since the resurrection, if we had a final message to say to all of our family, and even in fact to all the people of the world, as David puts this in the best, most published book there is, the world's bestseller of the Bible, he has this in there. He got to say something to the whole world. What if you had an opportunity to leave some statement to the whole world? I could recommend that you simply echo the words that are right here. It's already written for us from our coach, David. From verse 3, we say, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And from verse 21, we simply say, Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, receive our praise. 